0: No, my fucker, all welcome to the Policy Fix, a podcast by the Policy Observatory AET. I'm Kerry Mills DNA, and today I'll be interviewing the author, journalist, and academic Max Rashbrook about his work on inequality in Aotearoa New Zealand. Max is a senior associate of the Institute for Governance and Policy Studies at Victoria University of Wellington, and he's the author of the book *Government for the Public Good: The Surprising Science of Large-Scale Collective Action*. Tena koe, Max.
1: Tena koe, Keri.
0: So to start off with, what kind of inequality are we talking about here?
1: Well there's lots of different kinds of inequality. I focus mostly on what I call economic inequality, the inequalities in the distribution of income and wealth.
0: So what's the problem with economic inequality in New Zealand?
1: I guess you start with the fact that both Income and wealth are important resources, would be the way of putting it. You know, income is what you have coming in week to week or month to month. It's what you use to, you know, deal with the present and meet, you know, pay your bills and that sort of thing. Wealth is sort of the is the store of assets that you have. Things you own, like you know, cash in the bank, or if you're lucky enough, a house or a car or whatever. And that's what sort of the resource you use. stability um, and to plan for the future and you know it's sort of one of the eternal questions of politics really is how are those resources distributed and you know inevitably there's there's an inequality in that both wealth and income to differing degrees are concentrated amongst um, the top strata of society you know and that raises a, a whole range of questions
0: So what's the situation in New Zealand? How much inequality do we have?
1: We have quite high levels of inequality, particularly of income, compared to the levels we've had in the past and compared to other developed countries. So it used to be, you know, New Zealand has always thought of itself as a very egalitarian country. Now, of course, that's problematic in a lot of ways. I mean, it's a Pākehā concept that's founded on, confiscation of Maori land but if you just sort of take it for what it is for a moment um, New Zealand was a relatively had relatively small income inequalities in the 80s someone in the richest tenth of the country would have earned about five times as much as someone in the poorest tenth that increased very sharply in the 80s and 90s and it's now that ratio is now about nine to one so it's an inequality of income with inequality of wealth um, the wealthiest one percent of New Zealanders own 22% of all the assets. So you know, over a fifth of all the houses and cars and cash from the banks, so on and so forth. And conversely, there's a lot of New Zealanders who have no assets at all in poverty. So you've got, yeah, really, really big inequalities of income, uh, big inequalities of wealth. And that has, has had a profound effect on New Zealand society in the last 30 years. And you can think of that in a couple of ways. You can think about the effect that it has on individuals. You know, people's ability to lead the kind of lives that they find fulfilling and that they want to lead is severely compromised, you know, if they're in poverty, if they're on the poor end of that inequality spectrum. But it also has social consequences. the sort of the shape, you know, the fabric of society is profoundly altered if you have very large income and on wealth imbalances, uh, as opposed to a few of quite small ones. Um, yeah, in a more equal society, you know, people live closer to each other. You don't get sort of neighbourhoods so concentrated amongst rich and poor. You know, conversely, in a very unequal society, people live far apart from the people who are different to them. They lose that sort of sense of common purpose, that sense of empathy. They lose trust in other people because their lives are, have become so distanced. You know, society becomes more stressful, um, you get higher rates of, sort of stress-related um, illnesses, it becomes more punitive so you get much higher imprisonment rates, um, you also have very different life chances for poor kids as opposed to rich kids, and so a whole lot of these kinds of consequences um, for society as a whole.
0: Um, what do you think are the policy problems that are underlying this situation?
1: There are policy problems specifically around income and wealth inequality and how to, I would say, how to reduce those to a manageable amount to the point where everyone, at least ideally, can lead lives that they find fulfilling and meaningful and society is reasonably functional and coherent. I mean, in any capitalist society, you're always going to have some inequality of income and wealth Um, but there are strong arguments to reducing it at least to a much lower level and so and I think that's a a policy problem in terms of directly addressing income and wealth inequality and there's also you know the related issues about what do you do in fields like health and education um, that put people in a position where they can you know take advantage of a more equal income distribution.
0: So is it too simple to say that it's most fundamentally, a redistribution problem?
1: It, it's not only about redistribution, but I think it is quite substantially about redistribution. I mean, you have to have different things working in tandem because well, it doesn't work very well if you just give people extra income and leave them to buy health and education in markets. So you, you do need really high quality public services. But, you know, the redistribution of income and wealth is at is absolutely fundamental just from the very basic point that they're, they're essential things in life. You know, you, you, can, you can do all sorts of things and you can encourage people to have higher aspirations, which is something that gets talked about, for instance, but none of that is going to do much good unless people actually have the income and wealth that they need to do a decent life and you don't have such significant concentrations of income and wealth at the other end. Uh, that people are able to convert that into other kinds of privilege, like influence over politics, um, which I think is a really significant issue.
0: So, what do you think needs to be done to fix it?
1: Well, there are a lot of causes of economic inequality, and that spans the whole range of things, from you know globalization taking jobs offshore to you know the earnings gap between people who are highly educated and people who aren't through to, um, you know, changes in households, um, you know, the trend, increasing trend for highly educated people to marry other highly educated people. There's a vast range of causes. And so to fully address inequality, you need a vast range of solutions. But I guess the, f- the first point I'd make is that the biggest causes of inequality are ones that are amenable to policy change. You know, there is absolutely nothing inevitable about increased inequality, um, although some people do make that argument. So you, you absolutely politics can address economic inequality. And if you just, you know, forget about sort of the other the broader picture factors like health and education, if you just focus on the, the inequalities, the imbalances of income and wealth. There are there's a number of policies that I think you could you could implement. On the income side, There's a good argument, I think, for a higher top tax rate, similar to what other countries have. An economic analysis suggests that could be anywhere between probably 45 to 70% for the highest income earners. And you could use that to pay what I term a social income, effectively a more generous form of benefit, which is paid to people who are out of work, out of paid work, but who are caring or volunteering or whatever. So that would be on the income side. On the wealth side, um, I think it's widely acknowledged that New Zealand lacks a proper tax on wealth. And if you had a proper tax on wealth, you could use that to create schemes that would provide an asset base for poor children who would otherwise not be able to develop one. And lastly, you know, obviously in the New Zealand context, um, housing is important, both as a form of wealth in the sense that rents take a huge chunk out of people's income. So action on housing is an important part of tackling economic inequality.
0: Cool, I'm going to take you through those one by one. Firstly, the higher tax rate. What's stopping this from happening, do you think? And do you think it could happen in New Zealand?
1: I think it's just a question of political will. There is, you know, to some extent, tax rates you know, have been competed down internationally you know the aim is hard to have a very high tax rate if your neighbor has a much lower one but firstly there's not much evidence that people are actually that mobile based on tax rates in america for instance states that have higher state income taxes don't see a big exodus of millionaires to other states you know people just don't actually care that much about tax rates um so it's just a question of political will higher tax rates have become politically less popular in the last 30 years and you do get you do have some questions around avoidance and if you have a higher personal tax rate people will try to claim that their income is company income or trust income so you have you have some questions of alignment but other countries face that as well and they seem to cope and you know australia's top tax rate is 45 percent ours is only 33 percent. so you could at the very least you could very easily argue for top tax rate of 45 percent.
0: So next the social income could you describe that in a little more detail?
1: Yeah so the idea behind that is that we need to recognize that the current welfare system doesn't work very well but I personally am not convinced by ideas like the universal basic income but I do think we could find a sort of a halfway point that would help create a welfare system that's fit for the 21st century. And obviously there's a lot you need to do that, but at the core of that is this idea I have of a social income. And in a sense, it's just a much more generous version of the core benefit and paid out for a much wider range of activities than is currently the case. Currently, you can really only get the benefit if you are looking for paid work in the market or in a limited set of cases, caring for very young children. Now, I I don't think that's tenable because people can do lots of things outside of the market economy that are valuable and which we should recognise. And I think everyone is a mark of their human dignity and if they're doing something that is socially useful, should be paid enough to have a decent life. And so I term this a social income for three reasons. Firstly, it's obviously paid socially, it's paid by government out of taxpayer contributions. It would be set at the rate about half the average income in New Zealand, half the median income, which is about the point where you have enough money to participate socially. And thirdly, it's paid for a range of activities that society deems valuable. So that would include not just looking for paid work, but also volunteering with a registered charity and caring for sick relatives elderly parents cases like that
0: and has there been any work done on costing uh, an initiative like that
1: no and that's one of the things that I'd like to do in future it obviously would be significantly more costly than the existing system um, so you'd need to have something closer to Scandinavian levels of taxation to fund it the only thing I would say though is that because it would like classic benefits be clawed back from people as they earned more, it would be, you know, with high levels of taxation, be affordable, whereas I think proposals for universal basic income through their need to pay the income to everyone in society are unaffordable.
0: So, thirdly, the tax on wealth. I know there are several different varieties of taxes on wealth. Could you run through the most important ones?
1: Yeah, and, you know, I'm relaxed to a certain extent about what kind of wealth tax is chosen. They probably all have their advantages and disadvantages. I think the point is simply recognising, you know, that people's wealth has been acquired through their own hard work, but also through luck and the support of others and through using, you know, communal infrastructure in the shape of the public health system, public education, and so on and so forth. And so it's important that people who have wealth put back into that communal pool, just like people who have income get taxed on their income. I mean, I would be comfortable with the capital gains tax, for instance, You know, so that if profits you make from selling a house, for instance, are taxed, you could also have what's called a comprehensive capital income tax, that, which is what Gareth Morgan has proposed, where you sort of assume that any asset you own should be earning a certain rate of return. You know, you should be generating about 5% of its value as income every year, and you're taxed on the presupposition that, that you're generating that income. Um, that has its advantages and its, and its disadvantages. And politically, is probably a, a real, is, is not so attractive. Or thirdly, you can just have a straight-out tax on wealth in the sense that you pay, say, 1%, of the value of the wealth you have every year, rising to maybe 2% for larger fortunes, 5 or 10% for really large fortunes, uh, which is what the French economist Thomas Piketty has proposed as a way of pushing back against wealth inequality.
0: And you mentioned that this could be a way of funding an asset base for poorer children?
1: Yeah, so that's an idea that draws on what people call asset-based welfare. Because you know, the welfare system mostly just focuses on dealing with people's income needs. And that's understandable because that's the, the pressing day-to-day question. But as I said at the outset, wealth also matters. And you know, one of the features of life is that children from more well-off backgrounds will get significant support from their parents and poorer children won't. And so one of the things you could do with the, the revenue from a wealth tax is you could create a scheme where you effectively roll out KiwiSaver for kids. And now versions of this have been have been piloted in other countries. And you could do it different ways, but basically you would probably, you, know, you would have every child at birth being enrolled into a KiwiSaver scheme uh, with a government grant to start it off. And then you could probably also have a system where You know, if parents could put in even, you know, say a dollar, two dollars a week, government would match that up to a certain amount. So you'd be encouraging some sort of involvement in this thing from parents and maybe increasing financial literacy along the way. And you'd be drawing on the power of compounding interest. So that, you know, even with relatively small amounts being put into these saving schemes over 18 years, um, you know, at three, four percent interest after tax every year. You would build up quite a significant amount, and so kids would hit 18, at which point they'd take control of the account, and it could quite easily have, you know, $5,000, $8,000, $10,000 in it by this stage. But crucially, they would only be able to use it for wealth generation purposes, because you don't want to give a whole lot of 18 year olds a lump sum to suddenly splurge, you know, so they'd only be able to use it a bit like with conventional KiwiSaver for house deposit um, retirement savings I would add you know being able to start up a business you know with approval from a bank or something like that and you know withdrawal in case of severe illness and that kind of thing and so that would start to create a wealth stake for those who are not fortunate enough to have one anyway
0: and the last thing you mentioned was housing
1: yeah and I think that's just a really obvious point in New Zealand. Now it's not true that housing is the main driver of inequality as some people claim. As I said earlier you know inequality has a huge range of causes and housing is only one of them but it is an important one and so you know so I think there needs to be a range of housing policies many of which we're starting to see but all of which probably need to be amped up. So greater construction of affordable housing through whatever means, um, probably involving yes yeah, significant densification of cities, increased building of state homes for those most in need, and action to keep rents under control, whether that's again an increase in the volume of supply or controls on rent increases and greater security for tenants and those kinds of policies. With all of this, you know, you do face a question of political will and you face the question of what works with New Zealand values, you know, I mean, whatever those are, and I know that's a very contested question. But I, d- I do think security is, is a really important New Zealand value and it's something that people have always sought. And I think it's particularly relevant in a very precarious world, you know, a very precarious 21st century that we live in And so I think, you know, whatever policies we implement, you could probably orient a lot of them around providing security. You know, so housing in a sense, you know, is, is a form of security. Wealth is a form of security. I think you could also, quite apart from the social income that I've talked about, I think you could do a lot with the benefit system so that it adapts to precarious work and it helps people manage their income and avoid sort of the big peaks and troughs. Um, so, you know, just as an overarching thing, I'd like to see a much greater focus on the question of secure economic security and what that means, why it's important and what policies would help enhance it.
0: Thank you.